Green Street Joinery and the American Craftsman Podcast are proud to partner with Montana Brand Tools. Montana Brand Tools are manufactured by Rocky Mountain Twist in Montana, USA. With numerous patents dating back to the invention of the Hexshank system by our founders, we strive to produce accessories that add precision, flexibility, and efficiency to your toolkit. In addition to woodworking tools, we produce many high-quality cutting tools that are used by the aerospace, medical, automotive, and industrial markets. Our end product has a fit and finish that is beyond comparison. Montana Brand Tools are guaranteed for life to be free of defects in material and workmanship because we build these tools with pride and determination. For 10% off your order, visit MontanaBrandTools.com and use the coupon code AmericanCraftsman. All right, here we are. Welcome back, folks. Um, we're here to wrap up the the shaker section of the podcast. Yeah, I, I think this has been a little bit of an awakening for us. Yeah. Yeah, and it's been a couple of weeks so we um, since we recorded the last episodes. So we're going to be digging up some old um, sour feelings about the shakers. <laughs> Now, to be fair, we both went into the Shaker episode as, you know, proponents of the Shakers. Yep. Almost fans. You know, mm-hmm. we certainly, um, like most people in in our trade, we use Shaker style and design, at least the stuff that we attribute to the Shakers. It's right. been attributed to them. Um, and we really... Um, sort of uncovered some, I would say, opportunistic um, elements of uh, what's attributed to the Shakers and their success, I think. So we're going to go over the the Shaker aesthetic, which pretty much everybody's familiar with, everybody in the the industry, uh, and their lasting influence. Um, given that they only flourished for about a hundred years, it's really incredible to know how many books have been published on the lives, uh, inventions, which is also <laughs> misattributed, uh, inventions. Yeah. It, but the design aesthetic, the craftsmanship, um, of the shakers and in some ways they were ahead of their time. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, unless you ask us. <laughs> <laughs> Right place, right time. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so uh, I know you're looking at the notes, but if you do a Google search for Shaker Furniture, guess how many results come up? Uh, I'm going to guess <laughs> approximately 31 million. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Um, just a simple simple two-word search, 31 million results. I, wow. That's a lot. Yeah. Um, so... It shows that their, if not influence, their, their um, what what would you call it? If their presence, yeah, is is really uh, wide. She looks like she just got into some trouble. Yeah, we got a little visitor in the studio today. Yeah, we got a puppy down here. <clears throat> um, I wonder. I don't think we had her last time we no. recorded. No. So it's been uh, about a month month that we got uh kaya is her name my son named her she's like a little chihuahua she's acting like she wants to come up but i guess not uh chihuahua mix with something yeah she looks like she doesn't really look like a chihuahua except for the size yeah maybe the body kind of the ears maybe yeah they said miniature pincher i think which is a possibility i don't know she's got a interesting color 
Yeah. Now, now neither of us were traditionally small dog. No, not people, at all. But this is the cutest dog going. Yeah, she's pretty good. <laughs> what a personality, right? Yeah. I'm sure she's. Yeah, going up there, Kaya. Keep you out of trouble. Yeah, there you go. She'll just go to sleep. She yeah. sleeps like, like a freaking I don't know <coughs> what. What's an animal that sleeps a lot? A sloth. Bear in the winter. Yeah. Um, so let's get back to, we'll get back to our shakers. We were distracted there for a minute. Yeah. Although their attitude toward design was based on religious beliefs, it anticipated in a remarkable, remarkable way concepts of functionalism that became common about a hundred years later. <laughs> hey, settle down over there. So that's really what's, I guess created this lasting um, presence and influence of the Shakers. Um, time sort of caught up with them mm -hmm. and the design aesthetic. And uh, it's probably, we're probably in agreement when we think they didn't necessarily set the tone, but mm -hmm. sort of just... They were there at a time when, you know, we're coming out of, like, the Chippendales and the Sheridans and... Um uh, all this federal and empire furniture that's highly ornate, mm -hmm. got a lot of carvings, marquetry, th this crazy veneer work, and they came in and went, like, you know, not complete utilitarian, but pretty much. Just about. Um, so, yeah, I think people kind of latch on to it because they were flying in the face of really what was popular. Yeah, and it's not that it it was new. It was just they were there. down old. Right. They made the Pennsylvania Dutch look like a bunch of partiers. Yeah. <laughs> like they're on Rumspringer 24-7. <laughs> With all those paintings and design work. Yeah, unicorns. <laughs> oh, curves. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, so as we've discussed, Shaker style is an aesthetic and set of design principles that wasn't born out of fashion, uh, neither from architecture nor nature and landscapes, um, whereas a lot of the other styles we've discussed were sort of uh, a reaction to or a, um, a growth of a previous design style. Yeah, they're like, look at this building we uncovered in Pompeii. Let's make a chair that, <laughs> you know, reminds us of that. Right, the Klismos chair, which we see everywhere now. Yeah. Um, and if you guys listening... Um, I haven't had a chance to look up what a Klismos chair is. You should. You should just take those few minutes, yeah. and you're going to start to notice it in all kinds of knockoff furniture, mm -hmm. the, the, the leg style especially. Yeah. Um, it really is uh, um, a, a far-reaching design. Yeah. I'm talking a thousand years mm -hmm. or whatever, maybe more. I forget when the first, you know, they found that... Uh, Oh, um, yeah. Like a carving of a Klismos chair. Yeah, when, that was probably in the 1800s, I guess, right? Was that when they started doing all the the architectural, the archaeological digging? I can't yeah, remember. Yeah, yeah. And it was, <clears throat> I think they found it in Greece. Yeah, yeah. Um, so part of how the Shakers uh, believe they could show and honor their belief is by creating their own style of furniture. Furniture that focused on use and purpose over ornamentation and decorative detail. And uh, furniture that shows how 
by honoring function, you can be uh, led to the most beautiful form, subjectively. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so three of the guiding principles of Shaker design. Ooh, this is vicious. <laughs> Prioritization and necessity is number one. Uh, this is one of the Shaker's greatest examples of discipline in design. Uh, before making any piece of furniture, they ask whether or not it's actually needed. Hmm. Um, I wish people would start doing that now. <laughs> With like, you know... <laughs> A, a four-foot charcuterie board <laughs> with a big, like, ha handle on the end. Yes. They have real clarity of need versus want. Hmm. Um, speaking of charcuterie, there's, there's a commercial now about insurance. Uh, I think it's State Farm where they have, like, the basketball players. Mm -hmm. And one of the coaches is doing a crossword puzzle, and he goes, What's an eight-letter word for charcuterie? I thought, oh, God, I don't know what the answer is, but hmm. um, I don't know if there is a real answer. It's not pepperoni, is it? P-E-P-P-E-R-O-N-I? That's nine, unless there's only there's two P's in pepperoni, P-E-P-P. Yeah, my first guess was salami, but that's too short. That's only six. Yeah, but I thought, man... The word and idea of charcuterie has invaded popular culture. A-S-S-H-O-L-E-S. -S -S -E <laughs> Assholes. <laughs> so, you want to go down there, Kaya? No. You, she just, like, she's yeah. just like uh, you know, tries to act tough yeah. for a three-pound dog. Um, so, and number two, utility and function. So we're talking about the guiding principles of Shaker design. So first is, is, is it necessary? Is it needed? Or is mm -hmm. this just something I want? Um, second is utility and function. Uh, and this is more to do with how they design the piece. Once they establish, all right, we need a cupboard for our clothing. Now, how are we going to design this? So... Shaker furniture, it's always created with function in, in the forefront. Uh, the entire focus is on performance and fulfilling objectives of use and purpose. Uh, and they believe that the beauty in a piece comes from its ability to work well, to do as intended. Um, and and we're, we're, we're on board with that. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, this is kind of our thought process. The mm -hmm. first one... Not so much. I mean, if we only built things that were absolutely necessary, we probably wouldn't we, be building much. We've had a business. Yeah. <laughs> the, the wine cabinet comes to mind. Yeah. The coffee cupboard. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're more in the want business than the need business. Yeah. <laughs> but, but number uh, two is, I mean, that's our bread and butter. Yes. Um, we have a different uh, end idea of like what is beautiful mm -hmm. but i think we get a lot of satisfaction out of um joining function and utility yep um uh, i i think most people in our uh game you know the, the small craft shop that's that's part of you know what gets us up in the morning to, mm -hmm. to go to work 
Yeah, make things that really enhance people's lives, you know? Right. Because um, at the end of the day, I mean, that's really what we're doing. We're, we have a, a pretty personal relationship with our clients. Yeah. You know, we're, we're bringing something into their home. A lot of times it's it's daily use stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, like the banquette. Yeah. That we, I mean, we've got a couple of banquettes, coincidentally, that we've uh, got in the shop. And these are going to be daily use items. People are going to be sitting, lounging. Yeah. Um, you know, the one the client said, you know, when I was a kid, like, this is what <coughs> we had, and I want that for my kids. Right. You know, like a big banquette where everybody can sit and eat and talk and, you know. That's super cool. Yeah. Um, we'll be, uh, you know, helping that family evoke memories of the past. Mm-hmm. Um I I really, I mean that's that's some of my greatest satisfaction. Yeah. Um, so the shakers they want these pieces that they decide they need to to function um, really well. That that's number one, um, and because of their religious beliefs, they you know thought sparseness was was really the ideal. Um, form of beauty. They, so they paired back forms with unfussy silhouettes, uh, a real clean character. Um, yeah, you don't want to be a show-off. <laughs> that, that's exactly it. That's the best way to to summarize it. God doesn't like show-offs. <laughs> Man, boy, we could go off on a <laughs> tangent <laughs> about today's culture, couldn't we? <clears throat> I, I love this word. Uh, this, as I was doing my, uh, uh, you know, I call it research. The shakers aren't concerned with flounce and flourish. Ooh, flounce. <laughs> I like that. That could be the new. Uh, we got um, tranche. Tranche. Yes. Uh, obsequious. Obsequious. Yes. And flounce. I love that word, flounce. <laughs> Insubordinate and churlish. I want to see somebody work that into a sentence in daily life. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that that would be funny. Um, those are just distractions from and contradictions to the purity uh, and function of a piece. They don't need any adornments um, unless it actually adds to how the piece functions. Hmm. Um, beauty rests in utilities, one of the phrases for which they're most recognized. Beauty rests in utility. I like that. Yeah, it's a nice uh, nice bit of wordage. It's one of those, uh, you know, it's like a rule that's meant to be broken. Yeah. Uh, but even if, uh, if shaker simplicity isn't a look that suits you or your home, what this principle reminds you of is to never compromise on the usefulness of a design, mm-hmm. uh, which is pretty good. I mean, I like that. Yeah. Um, I like this, this third principle as well, integrity and longevity. Um, I mean, we're all about that. Right. Shaker designs are renowned for their quality. Um, <clears throat> I, 
I, do you think that's an overstatement? Um, I mean, I'd have to see some in person, I guess. Renowned is a pretty big word. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, if we're going to be skeptical, we might go back to the time and place argument. Right, like they're renowned for their quality at that time because most furniture was being made in factories. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's like a longer, they shorten the sentence. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they believed in making furniture once and well. I mean, this is, this is cool, to avoid being wasteful of both time and materials. Uh, their furniture embodies a commitment to quality. So, yeah, I, I mean, I wouldn't, wouldn't take it away from them. Uh, but it may be a little bit overstated. Yeah. Natural materials and the art of handmade are honored, but the Shakers are also responsible for creating advancements in machinery, too, if it serves to be useful. Allegedly. <laughs> the circular saw, for example, was an invention of the Shakers, <laughs> Allegedly, yeah. because it produced more accurate cuts, quicker, less time. Um, so they weren't anti-technology, mm-hmm. not not to say the least. Yeah, not like the, um, the <clears throat> Pennsylvania Dutch. Right. It's this shaker principle that reaffirms not to sacrifice the quality of the furniture that you have in your home. Seek out the pieces that are made in the way that they should be and from the best material for the item in question. Invest in the pieces that have been designed to last the course. Um, yeah. I put that in bold. That's how we feel. Exactly. Uh, it is an investment um, because it's not just, you know, more costly to have things built like we do it. And uh, I wonder what the price of shaker furniture was compared to factory furniture at the time. Yeah. That's something I kind of missed. Seemed uh, like it was <coughs> pretty popular. I don't know if it that means that it was uh, comparable in price. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, got, go. a, got a little picture of a shaker dresser here, a photo. And, uh, I like the, that. Yeah, the caption I put was a shaker dresser that's, you know, appropriate that you could see in t- uh, somebody's house today. Yeah. I mean... Uh, not if they were going like mid-century or, well, maybe. No, I mean, if you, uh, let's say you change the wood, mm-hmm. like this looks like, um, let's see, zoom in a little bit. To me, it looks like maple. Yeah, real, or maple could, one's gotten that really, really dark. Yeah, it could be cherry. Um, you know, hard to tell the difference mm-hmm. between old cherry and old maple. Probably, probably maple. But, I mean, look, we got, these are very, uh, reminiscent of like a mid-century kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Change out the hardware. Change out the wood species. This is a very modern piece. It's got really nice form. The the one thing I'm, I guess, there's no need for inset drawers if you're going just on the sense of, you know, whatever functions yeah. best, whatever is the fastest to produce and still make it perform well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the shakers, like, everything <laughs> is overlay, I feel like. Yeah, that's the one thing I I kind of um, had wrong in my head when I was picturing Shaker stuff, not really diving deep into it. That was one of the things I did uh, always notice about Shaker 
furniture is that it's all this slab overlay. Yeah, kinda. yeah. And that's one of the biggest turnoffs for me is yep. I just I just prefer the look of inset. I do too. Um, and a and a big wide drawer like that. Uh, I'm design wise, I'm drawn to the look of breadboard ends. I yep. always like that, especially when you line the grain up on the on the breadboards, mm -hmm. going up a nice long row of drawer fronts like that. Yeah, I mean your style could even come out of the same piece. Yep, I I love that. Um, what are you doing, Kaya? You smell something? Smells like maybe she just took a leak. <laughs> I'll be right back. Yeah. <laughs> I will talk amongst myself for the <laughs> for the next few moments. Yeah, we're in the, uh, as we take we take go. a break. Yeah. So um, we're gonna start getting into some of the people you probably have heard of and what they think of the shaker aesthetic oh there were we have a deposit in the studio oh man and i'm you know one of the things that uh, i wish we had going with our podcast was some live interaction i mean jeff and i are never short on opinion uh, and we can we can kind of <laughs> here comes the dog running away. We can we can talk uh, about this stuff ourselves. But um, that was one of the great things about having a guest uh, was to to get that uh, alternative point of view. And as we're talking about things like the shakers and um, sort of questioning if, if the reverence for the shaker design and build quality. Come on, you're going is is on a par with, um, you know, let's say, uh, Sheridan and, um, you know, uh, Chippendale. We wonder, um, I lost my train of thought there because uh, we were corralling in uh, a dog. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> so we're wondering if, um, are the shakers on par with uh, designers like Chippendale and Sheridan? Um, and is their influence um, a product of just uh, our modern taste coming more in line with, with their style? Because, you know... If you see somebody with like a, a Chippendale reproduction or something like that in their home, it, it doesn't it's it doesn't really fit into the modern home, which is quite casual. Like we we live a pretty casual lifestyle here. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse the, me. The dog is banned. Banned from <laughs> banned from the podcast studio. You come and poop on the floor, you're out. So uh I came across some pretty good um, uh, quotes from designers that everybody uh, who's listening to this podcast, I'm sure, has heard of. Gustav Stickley, Charles Eames, and uh, near-local George Nakashima. Yeah. Man, I'm going to have to get something to drink here. <laughs> 
going to do a Kaya? Uh, George Nakashima, on his approach to design, our approach is based on direct experience, a way of development outward from an inner core, something of the same process that nature uses in the creation of a tree. Yeah. I guess that comes from uh, The Soul of a Tree, which is yeah. a George Nakashima book. Um, which I think they actually just they just published a new edition. Really? Uh, so it's easier to find now. That's one of those books, you know. It, it's funny, with woodworking books, there's a lot of hard-to-find books, and they're very expensive. <clears throat> um, so now you can get Soul of a Tree for, you know, like regular book price, like 30 bucks or whatever. Yeah, they probably don't print a whole lot of them at first. Yeah. And then they sell out. And after how many years pass, and then, but the demand is steady, I bet. Mm -hmm. You know, the same, let's say, uh, 10,000 people per year want to get their hands on this book. Mm -hmm. Um, And then eventually runs out. Um, And this is to quote George uh, We design based on principles as universal as possible producing objects without style, in quotes, that are real and utilitarian. The subtlety of the evolvement of the finest materials shaped with intense skill can produce a basic sensitivity. That's, that's almost poetry. Yeah. <laughs> the subtlety of the evolvement of the finest materials shaped with intense skill can produce a basic sensitivity. Um, George Nakashima felt uh, akin to the Shakers. Yeah. Um, He also says, in a world where manual skills are shunned, we believe in them, not only in the act of producing a better product, but in the sheer joy of doing or becoming. Ah, I mean, you can see why people like us love George Nakashima. Yeah. Um, I mean, not just for his work, but the way he expresses himself. Um, He's got a hell of a story, too. Yeah, you know, I'd love life. to hear some more about that. I, I, I purposely didn't go too deep into it because I had a feeling he was going to come up in... In the mid-century. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we feel that pride in craftsmanship, of doing as perfect a job as possible, of producing something of beauty even out of nature's discards. The minimalist style of shaker furniture is governed by the guiding principles of honesty, utility, and simplicity. All right, so... Yeah, now this this is one of my favorite pieces of <laughs> that's furniture. That's right. I've heard you talk about the Nakashima Kanoi chair, and, like, I always talk about... Um, uh, now I'm at a loss for words. You know what I always want to build... Morris chair. Yeah, the Morris chair, right. I just, there's just something about this chair that I love. I mean, it's so unique. Mm-hmm. Why don't you try and describe it for our listeners, in case they don't know what, what it is. Yeah, um, so imagine sort of, and there's <clears throat> he's got a, a bunch of different uh, versions of it. This is a, a side profile shot. Imagine sort of two trestles. Um, where the vertical portion is set back at, at, you know, about a 15-degree angle. Um, and that's what forms the legs and the, um, well, the feet and the legs, really. Yeah. 
and then he's got a curved crest rail at the top, and the uh, the seat is a a um a sculpted seat. You know, it's just like a a square that's mortised into these verticals, and it has you know sculpting. The the seat is uh, scooped out, and I think the original had round um like a comb you know a comb back yeah. style and the seat's kind of cantilevered out in front right yeah so the the <coughs> seat is just attached into those two verticals so it's it's a pretty sparse design it's got an amazing silhouette yeah let's bring up another picture yeah that we're looking at kind of like a sketch and it's really something you can interpret yeah Wow. Oh, first dibs. Walnut Kano chair by George Nakashima sold. I wonder what that went for. 9,000, it looks like it says, or 9,900. That's nothing. Yeah, that's for one one dining chair. I know, but for... Hey, it's I a mean, real you, Nakashima, yeah. <laughs> for Nakashima. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the thing that's so cool about that design is... We could build a conoid chair. Anybody could build a conoid chair, and you would instantly recognize it. Mm -hmm. It's like, that's a Nakashima conoid yeah. chair. It wouldn't have to be an exact replica. Wouldn't it be cool to have a whole dining room set of those? Yeah, I'm thinking about that right now. <laughs> I have to build conoid banquette on the other side. <laughs> This one's really nice that we're looking at. It's, yeah, it's, I mean, it looks like the uh, the <clears throat> spindles are maybe ash. Yeah, yeah. They're and kind the rest of is warm tapered up. on both ends, round spindles. Yep. Um, yeah, that's, I mean, what a great project to be able to spend, you know, some time designing your own kind of take on it. I mean, it's six pieces and like and like seven spindles. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Thirteen pieces altogether. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do you think? It's like a mortise and tenon attaching the the back to the the top to the press rail. Yeah, probably. Um, you know, these look like they're half half lap deals. Mm -hmm. Um where the uh the the leg we'll call it the vertical portion goes over these trellis feet trestle feet not trellis trestle and then the um this is probably like a, I hate to say it like almost like a maloof joint yeah where yeah. <laughs> we in our world we don't we don't really have the same rever reverence for maloof as we do for uh Nakashima. Yeah. I mean, it just has such a nice stance. Mm -hmm. You have the seat is angled up about five degrees. The back is angled back about 15 degrees. So you end up with like that, you know, mm -hmm. 100 degree. Yeah, yeah. I wonder how many he made before he sort of cemented the, the proportions and the angles. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, those are the kind of things where you'd really love to have uh, a cup of coffee with somebody. Yeah. You know, and just, just talk to them. Yeah. Well, what's that 
it, it looks like a settee or something like that, about two-thirds of the way down on the left. Look at this. Yeah. Looks like maybe it's a glider. Nakashima with uh, a Nakakonoid with some upholstery. Yeah. And an ottoman. Conoid cushion chair. <clears throat> Those top views are great, too. It shows the real elegance in the design with the curves and the straight lines. There you go. There's some Morris Conoid. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I want right there. Eight of them. Yeah, yeah. And there's a desk. Yeah, now, like, the Nakashima Live Edge stuff... I'm not the biggest fan of it. I prefer um, <clears throat> his stuff that that doesn't incorporate live edge. Oh, pull up that dining set there. Yeah, look at that. There's a lot of conoid chairs in like libraries, certain libraries and stuff. Mm -hmm. So our our second recommendation uh, for those listening after the Klismos chair is to look up the conoid chair. Oh yeah, yeah. The Klismos is spelled with a K. K-L-I-S-M-O-S. Um, and Conoid with a C. Where did the shaker go? Um, and when you when you find out what they look like, you're going to have sort of like one of those uh-huh kind of minutes where you go, oh, yeah, I've seen that. Mm -hmm. Now we got Nakashima dining table. Oh, man. Yeah, that's nice. See, this is the kind of this is the this is, Nakashima I prefer. Yeah, that's sweet. Like, I I'd love to have a table like that. Yeah, like it. I mean, the shoji screens in the back. Yeah, <clears throat> it's um, it's so spare. Yep, it's very Japanese looking in my eyes. Mm -hmm. Um, real just the thickness of the top in relation to the thickness of the of the the. The legs, the 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 braces, mm -hmm. all the it's just so perfect. I mean, it's a tremendous photograph too, the way it's centered on the, yeah. the Shoji screens. Yeah, perfectly. <laughs> um it, it's just uh I would love to be able to knock that off and and build it, right? And look at the functionality. You have this big overhang on the ends, so mm -hmm. the ends don't become unusable by the by the base. Yeah, um, yeah. The, where this is set, you have space for a chair <clears throat> on either corner and then one in the center here or even two. Yeah, I, I've built a few dining room tables and that's that's one of the biggest things I learned because people, well, we know this, people come to you with the dining room table thing and the, one of the first things they say is, I want to be able to seat X number of people. Yeah. And then they go, well, can't we put people here? And it's like, well, no, you can't have that style of table because the person who's sitting here, they can't get their knees into the table if yep. you have it like that. Or, you know, you can't have a person at the end of the table and at the head of the table sharing the same space unless the table's this wide, you know? You, the, um, yeah, so he's, he's really... Now <laughs> here's the shaker dining table. Right, there's the shaker. Now here's my thing. Everybody talks about the shakers, how they, you know, simplicity is beauty and this and that. This table compared to this table. Oh man. Same set of <clears throat> ingredients. Ideals. Uh, yeah. 
and look at the difference. This is austere. This is like you have this in a prison. I was going to say that looks like um, a school library kind of thing that the woodshop class made. Like an orphan. This is like what you find in like an orphanage. <laughs> this is simplicity is beauty or whatever the quote is, you know. I mean. It is. Um, again, uh, does this particular table have a name? Um, I wonder. Let me see if it says anything on the table. It just says dining table. I see, yeah. I'm uh, sure it may. Because what a juxtaposition of, of um, outcomes based mm -hmm. on the same principles. Yeah. Like Nam Nakashima sees himself as an inherent of the Shaker aesthetic and style and point of view, mm -hmm. but his interpretation and the end result it's like a different planet. Yeah. Now is this blasphemous? This table. <laughs> and this is no God, this is holy. <clears throat> um, it's like I said. It's almost the same ingredients. Mm -hmm. You know, you got the the sort of the trestle feet, the the top, the brace, the stretcher, if if you will. Um, I mean, like, look at this little, like, cloud lift thing they did here. Yeah. This, whoever, whatever shaker built this probably going to hell. <laughs> yeah. Um, speaking of cloud lifts, when we get into the, um, if you want to hear hyperbole from you and I, once we get into the arts and crafts, when, yeah. we, when we get to the greens, holy cow. Yeah. I mean, some of that stuff is just so remarkable. Mm-hmm. But we'll backtrack here to uh, Mr. Nakashima. Uh, and I don't know if I could be any more uh, effusive in my praise. Is that the right word? Uh, sounds right. Because that table just blows me away. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's everything that I would aspire to be mm -hmm. as a designer and then hopefully as a builder. Yeah, and, you know, when you strip down, <clears throat> this is what I like, when you strip down the design to something simple like that, then you can really take your time, and it's like, okay, there's only a dozen joints on this whole thing, right. so that's going to be a dozen perfect joints, because right. instead of there being 144 joints, there's 12. Right, and 120 are good, and there's one that's perfect, uh -huh. and 11 that you just kind of look sideways at. Yeah, you have to, you know... <laughs> Try and, and block it out of your brain for the rest of your life. Right, because you'd never be able to finish it within budget if you, you know, that's the reality of our world nowadays. Yeah. Well, and here Nakashima says, the woodworker has a special intensity, a striving for perfection, a conviction that any task must be executed with all his skill to create the best object he is capable of creating. We should have that up in the shop. That's... yeah. I mean, it's it's inspirational. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like you don't want to pigeonhole yourself into not being able to do your best because you create this design that's uh, not achievable to the you know the best degree. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I really, really like that. It's um. Even early in the morning, we're sitting here, we're kind of relaxing. But it, it makes me want to, like, do what we do. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a shame. We got to go out to. Um, yeah. You know, the weather's starting to ease up mm-hmm. here in the Northeast. And it's only like an hour or something drive, right, to get out there? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's New Hope, so yeah. how long it take us to go out and see Steve? About that. Yeah, yeah. Maybe hour and hour and fifteen, hour and twenty. Yeah. Um I'm looking over at those side tables and those things are aging quite beautifully. Yeah. I'm hoping this bench darkens up a little bit. I mean you see how dark these these mm-hmm. side tables got. Yeah. Um so what else does George have to say? Cutting logs entails a great responsibility, for we are dealing with fallen majesty. There are no formulas, no guidelines, but only experience, instinct, and contact with the divine. Now, see, coming from maybe anybody else, that might sound a little, um, it might ring a little false. Mm -hmm. But from what we know of George Nakashima, it rings with such truth. Yeah. Um... You know, fallen majesty. Somebody else saying that, you know. <laughs> like, uh, shut up, buddy. <laughs> right. But like when Krenov <laughs> says it, I get sick of hearing it. I'm like, okay, buddy, give it a rest. That's some of the first books I read were Krenov books because they, um, Middletown Library had a couple mm-hmm. and I read them. And so he was actually one of the first people that sort of, um, you know, gave me ideas and thoughts about uh, woodworking. Yeah. Um, I have him here. Like, the first book I loved, and then the second one, <laughs> like, I feel like he's just going on and on and on about, you know, the wood, and it, and it just, I don't know. Yeah. I had to stop reading it. Wow. Nakashima chest of drawers. That's pretty cool. Yeah. This is, uh, we're kind of going to be building something that, draws from this a little bit yeah with this yeah base. um this walnut tv cabinet we have coming up and the base yeah <coughs> i really like the bottom two drawers how they sort of merge on the right hand side there mm-hmm. um and it's an interesting placement and choice for the woods like maybe i would have pulled down that that middle drawer down one yeah. And put that other one. Yeah, because it's kind of bridges. <laughs> you know, we are Maybe somebody put the drawers back in wrong. <laughs> we're, we're nitpicking George Nakashima. Yeah. Yeah, like, I, yeah, you know, they, I feel like the color is a little bit off on there, but, and this top rail is a little, little light, but. It's a, it's a, uh, plain, uh, box dresser. Inset drawers. How many drawers are there? Six. Yeah, like a you know a solid case with in, slab inset into the case. You know, no no rails. One, two, three, four, five, six drawers with the top rail. It's interesting. The top rail. I yeah, mean, that I, may be a little drawer too. I wonder what the like a jewelry drawer. Yeah, because the handles are those are in those are like uh, carved into the yeah yeah. So this maybe take this from that one, go up right. like this. Pull, pull from underneath. Out. Yeah. Yeah, that may be how you access the drawers, actually. That's pretty cool. And I, I love the feet on there. That's something that you kind of incorporated in the TV cabinet. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> Nakashima has described himself as a Japanese shaker. Well, 
And um, here we go. As these photos will attest, Sam Maloof was decidedly influenced by Shaker Designs. We have Maloof Buffet. I like that a lot more than, you know, the, what he's the, known for. Yeah. Everybody's all about the rockers. I I, I dislike the rockers, but mm-hmm. I love the um, the shaping on the the case. Yeah, yeah, you could see. Um, I wonder where this is in his career trajectory. Yeah. Um, we're looking at a buffet. It's, um, you know, drawers four drawers, drawers with under four drawers. And you could certainly see the Shaker influence there. Yeah. These are inset, mm-hmm. however, and um, like you said, there's that rounding, the the sculpting of the of the casework and the legs. Yeah. See this sort of uh, extra overhang is very Shaker, mm-hmm. and the uh, the top is integral to the case. Oh so, wow! And then it's got a backsplash, which if you if you got rid of the backsplash, I'd like it a lot more. Yeah. <laughs> Um and the knobs, those mushroom, those wooden mushroom knobs. Yeah, they they look a little more. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Proportional. Yeah, they're just a little more sexy. Yeah. Those shaker, they're too fat and yeah. uh, I I can't stand those things. I really like the wood grain on the doors. Yeah. Um, I want to uh, structurally speaking, I I'm wondering if that's veneer or if those are solid pieces i wonder how it's uh stood up structurally yeah through the years looks pretty good looks like the reveals are all pretty good yeah you got big reveals on the sides and super tight in that one yeah this one the maloof console table let's take a look oh man <laughs> that's that's definitely a shit i mean i I don't know if that those were my words because I wrote that so long ago, or mm-hmm. if that was um, something I picked up. But yeah, he is decidedly influenced by the Shakers. Yeah, this is this is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. I like the um, these like wishbone legs, but that this has like a a clear crook in it. Mm-hmm. You know, it looks like not, they're splayed out, too. not just curved. Yeah, which is pretty interesting. Yeah. Not just straight. Yeah, I guess maybe this is is split and sort of mitered. Ah, there or you in, go. Because uh, I don't think it's curved out of an entire. No, no. So that would be some. That's that's a good good pin out. It's pretty cool. This like the top looks like it's maybe trapezoidal. Yeah, yeah, some kind of curve or something along the front edge there, yeah, right? This looks like it's. Coming back at an angle. Yeah. And that too. Um, I'll just reiterate, uh, if you enjoy listening to the podcast, I think you'd really enjoy just, you know, spending five minutes even just doing some some Google search and to see some of these photographs. Yeah, I mean, if you're lazy, we uh, we offer the outlines to all the patrons. So yeah. if you want to help support the podcast, you can join the Patreon and uh, shoot us a message. We'll send over this outline with all the links. Yeah, we've done all the searching for you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we uh, all the outlines up until episode twenty are already posted, and then uh, you know all the ones past there were are uh, at at request. Yeah, 
Now, here's a little table. I wouldn't pick this out as a Maloof. I mean... Yeah, or even Shaker. Yeah. Um, certainly um, reminiscent of a lot of these small tables mm-hmm. that we've seen throughout almost all of the um, styles. Yeah. You know, they all had one of these small round tables with the... Like a candlestick table. Yeah, with the pedestal base, you know, mm-hmm. four legs. <clears throat> some had three legs. Yeah, a lot. Of, you saw a lot of that in the Federal and the Empire. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, it's... This iMac is slow today. Now, did you ever hear uh, David Ebner? Yeah. I I'd not heard of him. This is like a cafeteria table. <laughs> so it's a dining table. It's definitely like a, uh, I, I would even call this stripped down shaker. Yeah. I mean, I guess like, there's got to be a stretcher up there we, it, because of the angle of the photograph. Yeah. It looks like just two sort of stainless steel. Yeah, upside down T's. Yep. Holding up a, a single slab top. Yep. Uh, I mean, I like the thumbnail profile mm-hmm. here. And then he looks like he's got a small undercut bevel here. Yeah. Um, I, I'm kidding when I say it's a cafeteria table, but it is sort of reminiscent of that. Very uh, institutional looking. Yeah. Yeah. It's. But in a in a tasteful way. Tastefully done. Yeah. It, it almost looks like office furniture. Yeah. Like, you could, like if you had like one of those hip offices in a. In a Brooklyn uh, mm-hmm. repurposed building. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Looks like gentrification. So who is David Ebner? Uh, he began his career in 1973. So uh, he's somewhat of a contemporary. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's considered by curators and collectors alike as an integral part of the studio craft furniture movement. Interesting. Um I had not heard of that before. No. I guess uh, that's like a white-collar uh, craft. Yeah. So we've uh, we've touched on Sam Maloof and George Nakashima, and now we're going to come to uh, Gustav Stickley. Yeah. Uh, he was also influenced by the Shakers. Uh, he actually began his career producing Shaker and Windsor Chairs. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't either. Until I've, read a, I, I've read a bunch on Stickley. Yeah, and the functional simplicity of his designs are another nod to the Shakers. Simplicity, honesty in construction, truth to materials. Um, and here's a, a Flemish phrase. Any, anybody who speaks Flemish out there, yeah. I will apologize. <laughs> Right off the bat, Als Ik Khan loosely translates to to the best of my ability. And that's one of the things that guided Stickley's approach to furniture. And it became the Stickley Company trademark. Yeah, I think on the logo that has like the wooden screw clamp, Uh it says Als Ik Khan on the the clamp. Ah. So Stickley envisioned in ornate quality furniture that was admired for its, not for its prestigious or fancy materials, but beautiful construction. Uh, of course, 
Stickley went on to become one of the preeminent figures in the arts and crafts movement, which along with mission-style furniture owes a debt to the Shakers. Um, I'm surprised I didn't, I guess I, I didn't go too deeply into Stickley because, you know, he's going to be such a big part of the arts and crafts thing. But oh, yeah. I mean, these are guys that we could talk about ad nauseum, Nakashima, yeah. Stickley, <clears throat> Maloof. Um, here's something I've heard of the, um, the Bauhaus group, but I didn't know that much about them. Uh, in 1910, and you guys might have heard this name before, Walter Gropius, he opened his first architectural office. Uh, but in uh, 1919, he took his most significant step. He organized and began direction of the Weimar Bauhaus, properly known as the... St <laughs> this is German, so <laughs> what do you got there, Jeff? Statilkies? Statilkies? Keys. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, Stotleek's Bauhaus at Weimar, which was an industrial art laboratory and school. And, and people in, you know, interested in design have heard of the Bauhaus school. Mm -hmm. There was a band in the 90s called Bauhaus, yeah. too. Um, and so it's now considered one of the most influential in the creation and dissemination of the modern style with emphasis on the functional. Uh, so throughout his professional life, Gropius's credo, Walter Gropius, was that his intention is not to introduce students to a style, but to a method of approach. Yeah, interesting. I like that. Uh, unlike William Morris, who earlier had argued for simplicity by urging that the machine be replaced by the craftsman. Gropius had great respect for machinery and appreciated the varied accomplishments it made possible. His longtime motto was, art and technology, a new unity. Yeah. All right. William Morris, uh, for those of you that don't know, he sort of is the founder of the arts and crafts movement. Yeah. It was him and... Who else? Wasn't there an, an Englishman? They were both Englishmen, I thought, right? Morris and... <clears throat> I forget. Late 1800s. Yeah, it's still... Uh, yeah, before it comes over here into right. America. Yeah. Um, Gropius did, however... Oh, Carl Parsons? Oh, from the Parsons School fame? Parsons Design? I don't know. Now i got to look this up. Yeah. Don't mind me. All right. Talk amongst yourselves. So Gropius, he did respond positively to William Morris's ideal of the, of the unity of art and life. And from a machine-age viewpoint, he admired the standardization of machine-made products devised by Henry Ford. <laughs> another, another controversial figure who did not age well. <laughs> Gropius? Ford. <laughs> oh, Ford, yeah. Um, so Gropius, a German, he's taking... Uh, John Ruskin. Ruskin, that's right. Uh, Gropius is taking, you know, this, this thought process of the Shakers. He's embracing 
technology of the you know the turn of the century you know it's 1919 when he um, creates the Bauhaus school and admiring the standardization the uniformity mm-hmm. um, and all the things that uh, machinery and machine made products can can bring so he's he's sort of taking the the shaker aesthetic into a, a a side route right um to achieve an absolute purity of line and a focus on functionalism gropius swept away the sticky sweetness of art nouveau's curves and tendrils <laughs> that's another great sentence <laughs> you can tell. I mean, I can be a little verbose at times, but you could tell the sentences that I cut and paste right, right from my uh, research material. Those are great. <laughs> to achieve an absolute purity of line and a focus on functionalism, Gropius swept away the sticky sweetness of Art Nouveau's curves and tendrils. Um, so Gropius, like a lot of the um, designers we've covered, He's responding to what's going on, um, either currently or previously, and his reaction is to go in the opposite direction. Right. So like the Shakers, he was influenced by other designs of the past. The 18th century Windsor chair, the spindle-back Danish chair of the same period, the simplicity of late 18th and early 19th century Italian uh, Chiavari side chairs and P- perhaps Thone as well. Now I just threw out a couple of names I can't really expound upon because I don't really know much about uh, the Chiavari side chair and uh, Thone. Do your own research. Yeah. <laughs> it was also at Bauhaus that Gropius inculcated in his students the need to bridge the gap between the art the arts and also to unite industrial products with art so he's trying to instill in his students the uh, the need to bridge the gap between the arts and industrial products Mm -hmm. together with his peers the cubists he stressed aesthetic fundamentals and the need to create forms that were geometrically pure so let's take a look at a couple of things. We got a Bauhaus chair. Very cool. Uh, you see these Klismos legs. Exactly. Um, this is something that you know. If you uh, if you were to look at this picture, you will say to yourself, "I've seen this chair before." Yeah. Or, uh, this is a design that is still still being copied and around. Big in the seventies, stuff like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and talk about simplicity. Yeah, a couple of curved pieces of metal, upholstered seat and back. That's about um, it. It really does adhere to his objectives. Mm-hmm. And it's stylish, I mean. Yeah. And it, There's not a stick of wood in that, and we yeah, like it. super sleek. <laughs> Let's see Bauhaus chair number two. Oh, wow. wow, this is another design that we've seen countless times it's like a sling like a sling chair i guess you would call it yeah yeah that's cool it almost looks like a beach chair right um i mean on both these designs although they're cloth and metal i could see interpreting them in wood yeah 
Now look at the angle on this. Yeah, it's steep, isn't it? It's the like seat. a chair that you could really get into and <laughs> let it all hang out. I could see that chair with an ottoman out front. Oh yeah, that's like a like a reading chair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, you know, he's taken the idea that the Shakers introduce of simplicity and form, uh, scaling everything back to its bare necessities. Mm-hmm. Only he's using completely different materials. Yeah. Um, so uh, you know the. We did start out saying this is like what's the Shaker's legacy, and you know even though we're we're way into modern design with these things, that's part of the Shaker legacy. Yeah, I'd say like, and I'm just coming to this realization. Maybe sort of my hang up with the Shaker design is they're taking something organic, which is wood, and really making things that are very inorganic. Mm-hmm. These very sparse, austere. Um, yeah, and the design is just better served in metal. Yeah. Um, you know, because the, the shaker designs are kind of cold. Mm-hmm. It's like a lacquered kind of deal, dresser. Yeah, let's compare this to the Nakashima. Uh, very similar. So if you take the base, you know, this has just like little kind of bracket feet mm-hmm. sort of built into the case. Uh, very similar to that Nakashima dresser. You know, same... Drawer layout, basically, you got a rail at the top, simple case, inset into the casework. Yeah, um, it's funny that this is, in some respects, it could appear cold, but it almost appears uh, nice and inviting in a way, I guess. Yeah. But, yeah, this is, you could see the... The Shaker influence, we'll call it, mm-hmm. in the layout. Yeah. I don't know what the deal is with this computer today. So let's summarize. The Shaker philosophy uh, slash design aesthetic can be applied to most things or situations. Okay. Excuse me. The Shakers were guided by core values of conviction, integrity, Inclusion and innovation. They were early advocates of gender equality. They welcomed African Americans, practiced pacifism, and put community needs above individual ones. Uh, They were successful entrepreneurs known for their various manufacturing enterprises, their creation of beautiful objects that have fascinated (laughs) generations of admirers, and their significant impact on modern design and architecture. I mean, whatever we want to say about the Shakers, they influenced a lot of uh, great work. Absolutely, yeah, that's undeniable. Yeah, yeah, that's, it's amazing. The Shakers made important contributions to religious thought, progressive causes, music, craft, agriculture, and industry in the 19th and 20th centuries. Uh, interested in visiting the Shaker Museum in Mount Lebanon, New York? Widely considered the country's most significant collection of Shaker furniture, objects, and archival materials, according to the New York Times I'd take last a ride. year. I'd take a ride out there, why not? Yeah. Uh, the Shaker Museum holds a compre- comprehensive collection of Shaker objects, archives, and books, and they're the stewards of um, the North family site at Mount Lebanon, uh, which is the founding community of the Shakers. 
We should uh we should pick a couple places and just put it on the calendar. Yeah, like, right, that we're would going be a to great podcast thing too. Yeah. We're going to Nakashima this day. We'll go out to Mount Lebanon this day and just go. I mean, you know whatever. it'll be a just great trip. Take, take a Friday. I mean, it's... Falling water. Yeah, it's a long drive because I've checked it out. Like, you got to go on these small, slow roads. Uh, but I've been dying to go to falling water. Yeah. Um, uh, the Shaker Museum founder, John S. Williams, began collect- collecting directly from the Shakers in the 1920s and 30s. Hmm. Um He's not a shaker, he, but he quickly realized the shakers represented an important facet of American history. And as their societies were in decline, uh, that crucial story was in danger of disappearing. Hmm. So he embraced all, an almost anthropological mission to preserve what he could, traveling around New England to extant communities and forming lasting relationships with the shakers. Uh, they came to trust him not only to pay a fair price, but to be the custodian of their story. So this guy went around buying up Shaker artifacts, furniture, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Many collectors and dealers sought spectacular showpieces that could be resold, and some of which are now on display in places like the Metropolitan Museum of Art. But Williams, he also wanted evidence of daily Shaker life how they lived and how they worked. That's another one, the Met. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's right here. We should take a day and go to the Met. I'm going to jot these down. Um, I mean, my wife would love to go to the Met. You're going to have to do that on a separate trip. <laughs> <laughs> this is a research I'd, mission. I'd have to keep it completely <laughs> separate if I, if I come back and say, what are you guys doing today, the wife? She likes to ask in the We're more. going what to the Met. Say? Oh, we're going to the Met. What? <laughs> if I asked you to go, you wouldn't go with me. You know how that conversation already goes. Yeah. Um, the Shakers gave Williams important religious relics, such as a piece of founder Mother Ann Lee's apron, mm. because they believed in his mission to start a museum and allow the sh- Shaker story to live on. Um, later, the Shakers transferred one of the most significant collections of their archival material to Shaker Museum, the records of the Central Ministry, which included diaries, business records, and correspondence spanning 150 years. Um, So the Shaker Museum, it's an interesting place to visit, I'm sure. Yeah. We haven't been there. And uh, let's see, it's on the Mount Lebanon site. just briefly, it was founded in 1787. Uh, it was the first official community organized by the Shakers um, and was the leader in administrative and spiritual matters for all Shaker communities that emerged throughout New England. Um, and I didn't know this. Also, as far as Kentucky, Ohio, and Florida. Yeah, well, I didn't know about Florida. Yeah. Um when the seven remaining Shakers left the North family in 1947, Mount Lebanon was closed, and the last Shaker family in New York State ceased to exist. Well, so the Shakers they're disappearing. Um, yeah, I, are there one or two left? Is was that it? I think that's yeah what we uh, found. Yeah, and they're up. They're up in New England somewhere, right? Yeah, yeah. 
1965, Mount Lebanon was named a National Historic Landmark and recognized by the World Monuments Fund in both 2004 and 2006 as uh, one of the 100 most significant endangered historic sites in the world. Um, And that's how we're going to wrap it up. You know, that's it is quite a legacy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think um, for us, at least, the most significant impact of the Shakers are all the the inspiration that they lended to, um, you know, people who had designed furniture that sort of is more of what we prefer. Yeah. I think, you know, I would I think we might have used this analogy. I can't remember because it's been like a month, but the Shakers are like one of those bands that you don't really like them so much. Right. But all these bands that you love took a little bit from them and were influenced by them and that's how you sort of appreciate them more. Yeah, I was having that same exact thought um, like a couple minutes ago. You know, it's like uh, who's the big, uh, the like the guy who inspired all the rock and roll? Um, well, like Chuck Berry? Yeah, like Chuck Berry. You know, without Chuck Berry. There's no Rolling Stones. And, and then there's no, <laughs> you know, Metallica or whatever. Yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> it trickles all the way to today. Um, now, I, I don't listen to Chuck Berry, but... I have to appreciate the fact that he inspired all these other people who right. then in turn inspired all these other people. And, you know, there's a a tangible timeline of how it um, progressed. Yeah, I, I think that's what we can really, really appreciate. We're going to end on like a high note on the Shakers. Yeah, go Shakers. Yeah. <laughs> We're sorry for all those things we said. Yeah. We, we would, you know, we're just we we're uh, we're authentic in our research and our opinion. Uh, you don't necessarily have to agree with our opinion. We try to, um, you know, come across with more than one source material so that we're not just you know citing something that's not true. Yeah. You know, we try to uh, uh, look at relevant sites and things like that so that we come. across come up with uh, valid examples to fa- to base our opinions on. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the Quakers, you know, they're going to get a thumbs up from us. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was looking it was looking uh, bleak there for the Shakers for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> they came we we came around in the end. Yeah, so if you if you hung on for all four episodes on the Shakers, good for you. Yeah, bravo. Yeah. Well, at that um, we'll bid you adieu, and we'll see you next week where we're going to begin on the first episode of the Victorian period, yeah, 1840 all about the Victorians. to 1910. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Yeah, everybody take care.